The All Black Podcast is powered by our official cloud software partner, SAP, helping our teams in black become the best-run teams in sport. To listen to this episode and all the All Black Podcasts, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Kira Farno and welcome to the All Black Podcast, powered by SAP. The All Blacks play Australia in the first Bledisloe Cup test this Saturday at one of the world's greatest sporting venues, the MCG. To discuss this match and his own rugby memories of playing against the All Blacks is a dead set legend of Australian rugby. 80 tests, winner of two Rugby World Cups, a breaker of New Zealand rugby fan hearts multiple times, none more so in the 1991 World Cup semi-final in Dublin. Welcome to the pod, Tim Horan. G'day Rob, yeah, thanks for having us on. Um, it's great to be here, especially this week leading into a, a Bledisloe Cup match where uh, you guys are massive favourites, as you probably have been the last probably 20 years. But yeah, looking forward to it, it's going to be exciting and a lot, lot to chat about. Mate, about that 91 game, do you still get asked a lot by, you know, Australian rugby fans or just rugby fans in general about that match and, and maybe that pass over the shoulder from Campo? Because I, I was 11 years old. You know, I was one of those kids, all black fan, probably like a lot of Wallabies fans who got up at, what, 2.30 or 3.30 in the morning or whatever it was and was hoping that our, our team were going to get over the line and make it through to the World Cup final. And you and your mates got in the way and, and it was probably, um, you know, a, a pretty special part of, you know, Wallaby rugby history. Yeah, incredible match. And when you look back at it, you know, a lot of people said it was probably the best 40 minutes that the Wallabies have ever played yeah. uh, that first half and the way we came out. In Dublin, you know, neutral territory for both the All Blacks and for the Wallabies, and to to have that opportunity in front of a, a incredible crowd there that was, um, you know, a lot of people. We actually stayed in the middle of Dublin that week, awesome, um, and we just walked up and down the, the mall and interacted with all the Irish fans and um, try to get more Irish fans on our side for the for the semi. And yeah, the just moments in the match were pretty special. Of course, David Campisi, that oh. first try he scored when he virtually. Looked like he was playing under eights. He ran across <laughs> to the left, ran around John Kerr and scored in the corner. And then the second try over the shoulder pass where Michael Liner, uh, of course, chipped ahead. And um, the, the chip was actually supposed to be for me. Um, but Campo, <laughs> of course, cut, cut in front of me and picked the ball up. And and then I just, I just kept screaming for him to pass it. And I sort of had the feeling that when he was about to be tackled, because Campo hated being tackled, <laughs> Whenever he got tackled, he used to throw the ball away anyway. So I expected the ball to come somewhere at that stage. And yeah, it was a moment that, um, you know, as you say, a lot of people sometimes talk about it, that they are in boarding school and they're allowed, up, yeah. as you say, at 2.45 a.m. to watch the game. There was one boarding house master that said, okay, anyone who watches the rugby, you're allowed to get up, um, but you can't wake any of the other boarding house up. So you can go in this room, but if I hear any noise, coming out of that room, you're all going back to bed. So they were like cheering silent and they couldn't make any noise until I think we won the game and they all cheered. Oh, great memories. They're funny things, World Cups, aren't they? Like great 40 minutes for the water. It was a week earlier that you just squeaked in against Ireland and, and perhaps why they're such strong supportive viewers in the semi. But it's a, to win a, a whole tournament, there's a whole lot of things that need to come together. Good luck and good management. And, and um, you know, it's it's amazing, isn't it? Um, you know, how many things... You, are needed to, to win a whole tournament, but um, I can imagine it's some of your best memories. And also yesterday, uh, being the man that you are, wearing many hats, kicking off something pretty exciting, probably a good thing to put on not just uh, Kiwi fans' radar, but rugby fans' radar is, is the Lions series coming up. 
Yeah, it's going to be incredible. So I announced yesterday in Brisbane the uh, the British and Irish Lions series. And, of course, there's going to be three test matches, one in Brisbane, the first one in Brisbane, uh, the second one, and then the third one, so Sydney and also Melbourne. So, um, But the great thing also yesterday was that they, the British and Irish Lions are going to be playing the five super rugby teams. So that's pretty important Brilliant. for us in Australia. And to make sure we've got that depth in those teams to compete against the British and Irish Lions. And then the one I'm really looking forward to, most excited about, is there's a they're calling it at the moment Invitational all Blacks Wallabies 15. Now, hopefully, in the next couple of months, we can change that to the Anzac game. Yeah. Now, I think there's there's a few little bits and pieces you've got to get through of using the Anzac brand. I, I understand oh, okay. that. So, and hopefully, the um, you know Mark Robinson and all the Kiwis are, are behind that. So actually, that game's going to be in Adelaide in South Australia, and I think that'll be fantastic if you get most of the Wallabies in. All Blacks players, and probably it's going to be because the All Blacks are playing France oh, okay. during that series. So it'll be players like, might be Richard Mwanga, might be the Barretts, who are people who are playing offshore, and yep. you bring them back to Australia. But you've got to have a significant number of All Black players there and a significant high-profile Wallaby players to make it work. So I, I was lucky enough to sit on the bench, actually, for 1989. There was an Anzac game against the British and Irish Lions. They called it the unofficial fourth test match at Ballymore. It was incredible. I think we only had three Kiwis there. One of them, Kieran Crowley, maybe um, Brando Bodica was there. And oh, uh, there was one other. Oh, mate, I love that concept. And I've always wondered, you know, how good would it be to sort of put together a, a Tri-Nations type of side and go on a bit of a tour? Um, you know, maybe, I know the old calendar is pretty clogged this these days, but that would be cool, wouldn't it? Mate, a few warm-up questions before we get into some of your Bledisloe Cup memories. And we asked this of all the guests we have come on here, players, coaches, etc. Who was your favourite Wallaby growing up? We don't ask them Wallaby. We ask them All Black, mate. But, yeah, who was your favourite player growing up? Well, I'll give you one of each. Um, well, it's probably... Um, so when I was growing up, I was playing a fair bit of rugby league and then I played rugby union at high school. Uh, didn't know a lot about the Wallabies. Um, I was just playing rugby. It was great fun. Um, I, I think I, I watched the 84 Grand Slam and I'm 14 years of age at that stage and... Um, I sort of, you know, you're looking up at those players, but Michael Liner, when he was playing, I think, you know, what a player he was. And then all of a sudden I finished school and a year later I'm sort of playing next to him. So that was a bit <laughs> surreal. Um, but someone like Mike, Michael Liner and what he did for the game of rugby, um, he saved us from so many um, matches over a period of time and his goal kicking, but he's kicking out of hand. He's how skillful he was. So probably Michael Liner in the early stages. And then I suppose when you get that chance to play against the All Blacks. I used to love, uh, I didn't, wouldn't say I love playing against <laughs> him, but for um, John Kerwin. Um, oh, brilliant. JK was just an incredible athlete. I, I remember watching him a lot um, and his footwork and how he just reminded me of NFL players and the way he trained. Yeah. And, um, and you know, seeing that try in that 87 Rugby World Cup, that length of the field, probably still one of the best tries in a Rugby World Cup tournament uh, and what an athlete he was. Mate, fantastic. For you, Tim, like, how did you hear you were first selected in the Wallabies? We always always ask the guys that, you know, whether it was on the radio, whether it was under the stand somewhere, whether it was in the paper, whether you got a phone call. Like, how did it happen for you? Yeah, well, back in the day, 1989, um, <laughs> it was a bit weird. I actually sat on the bench for the British and Irish Lions series in 89 and never got on. Because so that's what happened back in the day, wasn't it? You didn't, yeah. you actually didn't get on the field. You had to be, well, you had to be stretched off to actually get <laughs> a user replacement. So... So I sat there, understood what was going on. I was only just eight, uh, 19. I think I just turned, turned 19. And 
to understand the system and then getting a phone call. Actually, my brother rang me because back in the day, all the teams used to go up on what they called the wire um, back in the day. And that's, oh, right. that's how all the journalists saw the team. Um, so I hadn't had a phone call from anyone. So my brother rang me, he said he was a journalist. and said, oh, congratulations. I said, oh, what for? Um, and he's ringing me on the landline. Of course, there was no mobiles then. And I was at work and he said, oh, I, I think you're in the, the Wallaby squad, uh, the team, to play the All Blacks in um, 10 days' time. I said, oh, wow. I, I, I didn't believe him. Until then, about five minutes later, um, the great journalist Wayne Smith, who unfortunately only passed away uh, four or five weeks ago through a heart attack. It was devastating news. Smithy was one of the best rugby journalists we've had for 20 or 30 years. And But yeah, he, he rang me and he told me the same thing. And I believe Smithy, but I didn't believe my brother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, many wouldn't. Mate, that's awesome. And we'll get to that first game. But firstly, hardest player you uh, you marked or played against. Anyone stick in the memory? Yeah, of course, Jonah was, uh, he was oh. incredible, wasn't he? Um, to, to mark, um, not mark opposite Jonah, but have the opportunity with seven other blokes to try and tackle him uh, was incredible. He was a wonderful player. And um, I think he did so much for rugby off the field yeah. as well as on the field. And I had the chance to actually room with him uh, oh, when wow. we played the Barbarians team together and, and actually play with him in a test match um, against Scotland. There were 78,000 people at Murrayfield, 77,000 were there to watch one bloke and that was Jonah and um, scored four tries in that match it was incredible and I think just the he was he was an athlete first um, what he did off the field with charities and 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 looking after kids it was incredible but when he was on that rugby field it, I always thought if you once he took his fourth step <laughs> you would probably no chance to get him if you got him before we took that fourth step you were half a chance with a few other guys to get round one thigh and sort of hang on um, but he was pretty incredible. And probably before him was um, Inga Tuagamala, who, oh, Inga yeah. the winger. Like those guys, when Frank Bunce and Waddle Little were playing in the centres and they'd run across field and, and bring a switch play back with Inga the winger, like it was, you're looking, I was looking at Jason Little, looking at Michael Liner, and, <laughs> you know, who's going to tackle him? But um, it's just a sad that, um, you know, how things go and, um, you know, obviously with them not here now. Oh, mate, it's just so many memories, and, and yeah, fantastic to hear you um, talk about it. It's fantastic you got to uh, to play with them as well. That's awesome. Um, someone, or a pair, Tim Horan and Jason Little, who tormented the All Blacks at times over the years. When did you first meet Jason, and, and what sort of character is he? Yeah, first met him probably about uh, grade five or six, I think. Um, <laughs> I lived in a place called Toowoomba, about two hours outside of Brisbane in Queensland, and um, we actually travelled on a, um, a rugby league um, club team together and um, played under 11s, under 12s together, played a lot of cricket together and, and athletics. So met him there and um, he went to di a different school in Toowoomba. I went to um, Downlands College in Toowoomba. He went to Toowoomba Grammar. So rival schools will play against each other for, you know, right through to when you finish grade 12 and uh, made a lot of team representative teams together. And then we decided to go to the same club in Brisbane, the South Rugby Club, and we're lucky enough to win some grand finals there together. And, yeah, just formed a good bond, a good friendship, and probably knew most of the time what we were doing on and off the field, but also on the, that translated to on the field, where you most of the time knew what Jason's strengths were and what my weaknesses were, and we probably matched each other a little bit. Um, but a great guy, and he, he was an athlete first. He could have easily played 50 to 80 test matches for the Australian cricket team. He was a wow. talented cricketer. Um, played the Australian Under-19 cricket team. He was a um, incredible athlete, 
Um, high jumper had the Australian record, junior high jump record. Um, but I think he chose rugby because rugby went for 80 minutes and cricket in those days was going for two days. So I got bored. <laughs> <laughs> he was a bit of a joker as well. He tried to stitch you up a couple of times, didn't he? There's some, something I was reading about a snake or something like, holy heck, that's, that's, that's an Australian story. Yeah, oh, well, we're playing club footy, and back in those days, in the early days, you'd play a you'd play a test match on a Saturday in in Sydney, and you'd be on an eight o'clock flight to get back from Sydney back to Brisbane to just sit on your club bench. Um, you weren't supposed to come on, but most games you'd you know there'd be seven or eight Wallabies sitting on the bench, and you'd be on wow. in the first fifteen minutes. But yeah, one club game, he'd um, he'd found this um, sort of three and a half meter python oh. in his backyard that morning. So as I'm out warming up for the match, they put this three and a half meter, like massive carpet snake oh. in my in my kit bag. So as we finish the game, we come in and I couldn't realize, I didn't understand why there were so many people in the dressing shed because everyone was in on it except me. And I just thought I was because all the Wallaby players are back there playing and people want to say good day. So there was second grade there and third grade and a couple of fifth graders floating around. And then I'm just sitting there having my second beer and everyone's going, oh, mate, go and have a shower, have a shower, we need to have a shower. No, I'm all right, I'll just have a beer. And I thought, that's a bit weird. So then, so when you go have a shower, I'll put my hand in my kit bag to get my towel. And as I put my hand in to pick my towel up, I've actually picked the head of the snake up with oh. the towel and the snake's head's actually looking at me dead. But uh, I still got a bump on my head where I hit the roof and oh. everyone just killed themselves laughing. And so I haven't got him back from that one yet, but I'm, it's it's coming. Oh, mate. Yeah, and it needs to be a good one because that, that scares the hell out of most Kiwis, I'd suggest. That's a hell of a yarn. Mate, I want to talk a little bit about your first, your debut, which is also a Bledisloe Cup game. Um, talk to us a little bit about it because I don't, I don't think a lot of our viewers or fans will know or realise just how young you were. Um, you know, but talk about the match itself and, and perhaps what you remember of it because it was against the All Blacks and, and um, you know, it's always a pretty special one, your first one. Yeah, I remember in the day, that was the, the laws of world rugby then. You were only allowed to get into camp three days before a test match. So wow. we, we we flew to Auckland. We trained inside the racetrack in Auckland yep. uh, for three days nonstop. But like fitness and hard rucking and, you know, two sessions on the Wednesday, two sessions on the Thursday, a really two-hour team run on the Friday, the day before a test match. Um, and then played the test match. I was 19 years of age. Um, I played at number 13. A different position for me because I was used to playing at 12. I hadn't actually played for the Queensland Reds at that time. So um, wow. Bob DeWire sort of just picked me out. And But yeah, um, pl playing Lloyd Walker was inside centre. I was outside centre. I was playing against Joe Stanley, marking Joe Stanley. Johnny Schuster was inside centre. Um, Gallagher, of course, was um, fullback. Uh, I think Wrighty might have been on the wing back in those days. So... I'm just running out thinking this is surreal. I've, I'd, I'd heard of this thing called the Harker. I hadn't <laughs> really seen much of it. And I remember Nick Farr-Jones saying to me about five minutes before we ran out, of course, he was our captain. And he said, Tim, just, you know, just, we just, we stand up to the Harker, you face the Harker. I said, well, what, what, why do we do that? Why don't we stand up? He said, oh, it's a tradition and you've got to accept the challenge. And so I'm standing there going, what is this thing? And all <laughs> of a sudden, then, you know, and 30 seconds after the All Blacks doing the Harker, they're kicking off and they're climbing India. So, um, and I'm pretty sure we were into the match right to the end. I think it might have been 18 12 with about a couple minutes to go. The All Blacks scored at the end, it might have been 24 12 final score. Um, and the game went so quick. All I was trying to do was make tackles, make a run, just do the real simple things. And um, yeah, it was a tough one. Oh, mate, the first of 80. And 
And it's it's a great game, isn't it, footy? And and I think we still have that today. It's still a big part of the game. Is you know you're able to um, you know have a beer with your opposite afterwards, and and potentially I think maybe you had a chat with Joe Stanley, was it? Yes, Mike and Joe. He um, and Legend. it was real. It was strange because you know he walked into the dressing shed as I could hear the All Blacks next door still singing their national anthem <laughs> with the Bledisloe Cup, I assume, on the floor or drinking out of it. And just as they'd finished that, Joe Stanley's at our door. The, those days, the dressing sheds were right next door to each other. And he walks in and he sort of looks around, comes across to me. I'm sitting next to Michael Liner and and, um, and Nick Farr-Jones. And he walks in with two beers. And I thought, oh, this is a bit weird. And then as he gets towards me, he starts taking his all-black jersey off. And I'm thinking, oh, no, does he want to swap jerseys? Because I'm only going to get one of these. I'm only going to play <laughs> one test. We've lost the game. And then he walked over and shook my hand. He said, mate, here, I brought you the beer. Um, here's, I'd like to give you my test jersey. And I, as I was just about to say, oh, didn't really want to swap. He said, no, no, you keep yours. It's your first test jersey. Here's mine. And uh, and sat down. We, we didn't have one beer. We had two or three beers in the shed. It was a lovely gesture. And, and you sort of then pay that forward moving forward. I think I gave my <clears throat> jersey to Lee Stensness actually down in. Oh, brilliant. Um, might have been down... Um, Sort of uh, in Dunedin, I think he might have played his first test match. So I walked into the dressing shed, gave him my first jersey, and um, uh, and had said to keep his. So I think you just pay that forward and um, smoke and Joe. I laugh about it sometimes with him. I said, "Man, it was a wonderful gesture." And he said, "Oh, he didn't realise I probably gave you number twenty-one, not not thirteen." But anyway, <laughs> <he> just laughed. <laughs> oh, I mean, I think like you say, that's the. Uh... That's the game, isn't it? That's almost yeah. some of the best stuff in the game. Not necessarily always what happens on the pitch, but um, you know, and some of those that, moments. And usually that happens in amateur footy. I mean, it was amateur yep. footy back then for us, but you don't sort of see that stuff happen much in test footy. It's happening a bit more now, where sides are after a test series coming in and having a few beers because that's what that's why you play the game at all different levels. Oh, absolutely, mate. I want to pick out another game in particular. It was nineteen ninety third test victory at Eden Park. Now. The All Blacks had already wrapped up the Blethersley Cup for that year. But the reason I pick it out is because you did get the win there. I don't think the All Blacks had, had lost a game for maybe four years. They were on a bit of a run. Um, but I wanted to, to pull it out because obviously for, for people like me, that was um, my era and we all remember, you know, Phil Coons giving it to Fitzy and it still gets the odd run, the odd highlight run that one. But like, perhaps was that the start of something for you guys uh, that um, was almost the, the win you needed to go on a a really good run um, over the next couple of years because if, if you read some of the commentary from back then, perhaps if you'd lost that game, you know, maybe Bob Dwyer wouldn't have kept his job and, and he carried on to be one of the great Australian coaches. Um, you know, the All Blacks hadn't lost for a long time. Did it give you a bit of belief to think, oh, actually, we can compete and, and actually for the next couple of years, that's that's exactly what you did? Yeah, 1990, we were, you know, I was only 20 years of age, lost the first two test matches against the All Blacks and you're thinking, well, and we were called, there was journalists in Australia, headlines in Australia on the back page when rugby was was pretty strong in Australia. It was, you, we're the woeful wallabies. And yeah, it's right. a badge that we didn't want to wear. And um, it, was, it was pretty, uh, in Wellington, it was, I'm pretty sure it was quite windy. It was, rain was coming sideways, but we just played a quite a strong game plan that um, got us across the line at the end. And, and leaving that um, match, then you're thinking, okay, well, World Cup is a year away. We had good momentum. We believed in the players around us. And that probably, that was probably the strong foundation to go forward and then win that World Cup in 1991. Awesome, mate. So many games you've been a part of and you're one of those Australian players who had huge success against the All Blacks over the years during your career. Uh, best Bledisloe Cup memory? I reckon it was 
there's there's a few. Um, we were lucky enough to win a few Gladstone Cups back in our day. And, you were. Um, it was pretty special winning winning the game to win the Gladstone Cup in Christchurch in '98. Was because we had such a good team together, and um, the way we did that, and winning it away from home, yeah. and seeing you know a couple of blotches of gold supporters in the crowd, and about to have that Bledisloe Cup, took it back to um, the hotel in Christchurch, um, and every Test win we had a bit of a tradition. A few of us would go and um, jump nude into a, um, a, <laughs> a dam or a lake or something. We did that after 1990 at Wellington. We jumped in the Wellington Harbour nude at uh, midnight and tell you what it was pretty cold um <laughs> so we found that we found a little creek in christchurch is it called the avon the avon yeah that's absolutely it's called the avon yeah. not not so, the cleanest river in the country but no, anyway well, yeah. we found that out um, <laughs> Rob, because myself chris put a handy and another player we go up there and we jump in there and say midnight trying to find some water and and we go to jump in and chris put a handy a former commentator yeah uh, lo lovely fella buddha and of course played for the wallabies many years ago he strips off and jumps in, but we didn't realise was only realise it was only about a foot and a half deep. So <laughs> totally straight <laughs> so into the duck crap. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. So it was good fun. And mate, suppose, that that test match, winning that test match, but then probably the special one was going back to Sydney. I think think it was a week later. We played in Sydney, and the big motivation we had there. I remember talking to John Eels before the game that. Um, we wanted to make sure we won the third test match at home. As I said, mate, how embarrassing will it be? We'll have the Bledisloe Cup in our hands. Yeah. Win, lose or draw after that third test match in 98. Doing a lap of honour, having lost the game. So that was a big motivation to make sure we won the series, won three in a row, but also have the Bledisloe Cup after a win at, um, and went whilst you're showing the crowd. Oh, some fantastic players you're referring to there. Broke my heart many, many times, some of these guys and yourself. Mate, uh, sorry to pull it out, but but worst Bledisloe Cup memory? Is there a couple or maybe one in particular that slipped through the fingers? Oh, I think 1996, I think it was in Wellington, I'm pretty sure, where oh, yeah. our coach Greg Smith said to us, um, and it's probably it's probably the biggest regret I think John Eels has as a player, where we didn't face the Harker. Um, mm. pouring, pouring rain in Wellington, Athletic Park, running out, we didn't face the hark. We thought we'd do like camp I used to do all the time and go yeah, to yeah. the field and just warm up. Why are we facing the hark? We didn't understand a great deal about, we knew the culture of the harker, but what it stands for and accepting the challenge. So we ran out there and as the All Blacks line up to do the harker, we go to the other end of the field and start doing some ball drills. Uh, so we really disrespected not just the All Blacks, but the harker and the culture that goes with that. And, and then we, I think we lost 43-6 in the match. It was um, yeah. the biggest loss we've had against the All Blacks. And that it was embarrassing, one, what we did at the start of the game, but two, um, how we let ourselves down. And I remember Frank Bunce getting the ball early on. He ran straight through me and other blokes. It was just Jeff Wilson was great. Justin Marshall scored a try. Yeah, um, did, yeah. They were incredible. So that was a... That was probably something that haunted us for a long period of time. And we probably used that PC 1996 to probably try and take us through to the World Cup in 99 and what we had to stand for as a Wallaby team and make sure we had our identity. Mate, it's amazing. It's such a common theme from any number of guests, players or coaches that we have on the pod that it's the losses you learn the most from. You know, winning can be a bad teacher and it's those those tough days that truly make you reset. It's, it's fascinating to hear that it's the same for you over in Australia as well. 
mate, the test match coming up in a couple of days, um, it's at the MCG, you know, like, and it, it is literally, you know, perhaps one of, if not the best sporting venue in the world. So many fantastic things have gone on there. I've been there for Boxing Day tests. I've been there for rugby matches, been there for league matches. Um, for yourself, um, fortunate enough to get in there and, and play a game there, you know, be a part of it, be a part of a match. Is it different? You know, what does it feel like? It's, you know, tell us a little bit about um, the uniqueness of of that, you know, storied facility. Yeah, the challenge is you're playing, you know, in Aussie rules or a cricket ground that, you know, the sidelines are a long way away from where the crowd are. And normally, yeah. you know, when you play at Suncorp Stadium, you play at other grounds. And Eden Park's a little bit like it as well, that you're to get your bearings on where you are, where you kick to, where you run to, how far the sidelines are away from is a little bit difficult. So I wouldn't say it's the, the greatest atmosphere to play in, even though there's going to be 85, maybe 90,000 people there this weekend. It's wow. um, the crowds away from you. They're not on top of you. So it takes a little while to understand that and get a feel for that. So uh, certainly the amphitheatre and the atmosphere will be incredible, but um, you have to adapt pretty quickly as a player, as a team, to get a feel for where the field is. So it'll be a challenge for both teams. Um, Wallabies, Wallabies have been pretty lucky there um, over a bit of history. So I think they've won a couple of decent test matches against New Zealand there. So one, I think Matt Burke scored yeah. all the points, maybe 24 points. And um be difficult this weekend for our Wallaby team. They've struggled those first two test matches. But um, it's hard to tell fans, but... I can see it, but they're not too far off. But at the moment, we're just not seeing that. Oh, totally. And I, I mean, I think I, I talked to current players about this and former players. One of the reasons the All Blacks perhaps have been successful over the last wee while is is because of the rivalry that was created through the 80s and 90s. And, and um, you know, the fact that... Um, they put so much energy into the Bledisloe Cup and I think it's it's such a focus for them that, you know, they're not going to give it back to the Wallabies easy and, and you know, but at some stage they're a very, very dangerous side and when it clicks, we often see that they do get um, some victories against the All Blacks and when they get it right, they're, they're hugely dangerous. So I wanted to ask you a couple of things. Um, firstly, you sort of touched on a wee bit throughout the course of the pod, but one of the great things about rugby, isn't it, is the mates that you make. You know, you've you've been, you've played all over the world and, and, I actually want to ask you a few bit about some of your Kiwi mates. There are a number of guys um, that you get along with, uh, New Zealand footy players, um, that you can call friends today. Yeah, many. Um, had some great tours to New Zealand. And obviously you then, I had three years um, over in the UK with the Saracens Club. Oh, yeah. um, coached by Francois Pinner, coached by uh, Buck Shelford and his brother. Um, and, you know, different Kiwis that you meet around. I mean, wild little Frank Bunce, um, great rivalry, but great friends off the field. Occasionally see them when you go to New Zealand and, and catch up. Um, good mates with Justin Marshall. Marshy, oh, yeah. what a player he was. Obviously played against him a fair bit to the back end of my career and and what he's done for the game uh, on the field. But also his commentary is fantastic and yeah. you can tell how passionate he is when he calls different games. Um, yeah, so that, those sort of people are very good friends with, uh, I'll probably call him a, a very good friend, but also a great mentor, a guy called Kevin Roberts, who Kevin Roberts oh, yeah. used to be the, the vice chairman of um, the All Blacks for, for many years. And uh, of course, when he ran Lion Nathan for a long period of time. So I, I see Kevin a fair bit. I see Kevin a couple of times a year. We always catch up, um, stayed at his uh, house a few times over in the UK and he travels around the world. So um, I just think that link with um, the All Blacks and players and, and fans has been fantastic. And, you know, to have that time where, I mean, George Grieger and I represented Rugby Australia um, for Jonah Lomu's memorial at Eden Park. Yep. Yep. 
and like nearly 30,000 people at Eden Park was incredible to see what it meant for not just the fans and supporters of the All Blacks, but of sport in New Zealand, but also globally around the world, what that meant to Jonah's passing. And, and to see that, to see how passionate that Harker was, whether it's a Buck Shelford and Marshy and everyone who was part of that Harker around Jonah's coffin was just incredible. So, yeah, great mates from, um, when you play with them and you see them around the world and uh, nice to catch up with them. And I'm sure we'll see a few um, in, in Melbourne this weekend. It's funny, actually, Ma'a Nonu will be down yeah. this weekend uh, in in Melbourne and he's actually playing with my son <laughs> in, in San Diego with the Legion. So um, they play together, good mates, they play a bit of golf together, but, you know, how, how times have changed. Oh my goodness, that's outstanding, isn't that? Them and the 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 rider rugby networking community coming together, isn't it? Fantastic, mate. I don't want to hold you too long, so I'll ask you one more question. Thoughts for both the Wallabies and the All Blacks going into the World Cup. You touched on a little bit um, with the Wallabies and and how you think they might be tracking, and also get your thoughts on on the All Blacks as well. Who, um, you know, as a as someone who's very much finger on the pulse of the game, would be great to know how you think those two teams are tracking into the tournament. Both. You know, uh, not different paths, different pools, you know, different opportunities going into the cup. But where do you think they're at? Yeah, I'll start on the Wallabies first. I mean, Eddie Jones, you know, time will tell this weekend, Saturday night, to see how they perform against the All Blacks. And then, of course, next weekend in Dunedin. Those two matches are important to, to see where the Wallabies are at and how far off they are or can they get close to the All Blacks. Um, then we play a, a test match against France two weeks out from the World Cup wow. in Paris. So that's our... That's our three test matches left. So, Eddie Jones, he's got the good thing with Eddie Jones has got, he's got players who are coming back. So, Rob Leota back after 12 months out. Quade Cooper, Samu Karebi only played two or three games post yep. their um, injuries. Um, Angus Bell just back from a foot injury, hasn't played since the start of February. Um, so, we've got a lot of these players coming back. Taniela Tupo been out for 10 months, ruptured Achilles, just coming back. So, that's what Eddie Jones needs. He needs all those players yep. fit and healthy for the Wallabies to go deep. Yes, the Wallabies should make the quarterfinal. If you don't make yep. the quarterfinal, we shouldn't be here. Make the quarterfinal. You're in a side of the draw, as most people would know now, where you're going to play England or Argentina or maybe Japan, depending on how they go in that pool. So you could get to the quarterfinal. All of a sudden, if you win a quarterfinal and you're in form, then you're in a semi. And, of course, on the other side of the draw the four best teams in the world at the moment, Ireland, France, the Springboks and the All Blacks. So of those four teams, two of them aren't going to make a semi-final. So yeah. I think the Wallabies have got a good little run. <clears throat> got Haven't got momentum yet, but I think Eddie Jones will get them fitter, will get some momentum as long as we don't lose two or three key players. Samu Karev is important, Taniela Tupo and Rob Ballantini. Those yep. three players really important. So, yes, we get to the quarters. Um, a, a big a win for us is making the semis. That's where I think we go. Once you make the semis, who knows? Um, you look at the All Blacks. I, I said this six or seven months ago. I think the All Blacks should be favourites to win the World Cup. They're, they're my pick. Um, I, I did pretty well last time. I picked the Springboks about a year out from the 2019 World Cup to win it. I just Good thought form. their game plan... Um, makes World Cups. I mean, World Cups, you can play a quite a simple game plan. You've got to kick well, kick your goals, play field position. Defensively, you've got to be outstanding. And and then when you get an opportunity, you've got to be able to make it. So really the final is the first game of the whole tournament. 
Yeah. France versus the All Blacks. What a what a match that will be. So, uh, and that may dictate, of course, who you play in the quarterfinals for both those teams. So, no, I think the All Blacks. I think in a World Cup, you need players. The majority of your team needs to be older and have some experience. So most of the All Black players, I'm not sure of the average age, but I would say it's high t- high twenties. Uh, yep. When you look at Barrett, Rich Mwanga, all those players, um, White Locks, that yep. experience, and that, that's what England had in 2003. So I think the All Blacks would be very hard to beat. I'm, I'm liking what I'm seeing from them. I like the depth. They could lose four or five key players and still have that depth to come through. So it's going to be a wonderful tournament. Uh, I'll be there for eight weeks, um, and my hashtag will be Rose all day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate. Awesome. Look, thank you so much. I know you wear many hats, you've got many things to do. So I appreciate you giving us a little bit of time. It's fantastic to get, you know, a perspective from someone who plays against the team rather than for it. So I really appreciate it and and hopefully catch up with you at some stage. Appreciate it, Tim. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing Saturday night, how the Wallabies go against the All Blacks. And also, it's always great um, when we work at Stan Sport and Channel 9. You know, we have a lot of um, supporters and and viewers who are All Black supporters, Kiwi supporters in Australia, but also in New Zealand so thanks for all your support and uh, yeah look forward to Saturday night no worries cheers Tim brilliant the All Blacks podcast is powered by our official cloud software partner SAP helping our teams of black be the best run in sports hosted by Rob Dunn and the Hargrave Street Studio produced by Carl Thompson from Blue and Ginge the podcast producers video editing by Mac Leesberg graphics by Western Design content advising from Andy Burt and commercial manager for the podcast is Valeska Hoth follow the All Blacks podcast on iTunes Spotify, YouTube and anywhere you get your podcasts